This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today we have one of the, the people on that I have enjoyed speaking with in the past. I love it when we get to have repeat guests because it means that they have such good information that we just need them on again to share their information. So please join me in welcoming to our program again, John Vespasian. Welcome, John. <coughs> Many thanks, uh, Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I enjoyed so much talking to you last time because it, we're not talking about those hard business skills, you know, not how to post on Facebook or how to, to brand yourself or all of those various things. We're talking about the thought processes. And, uh, you know, be, be, you know what? I need to give your bio before we go any further. Uh, I just get so excited talking to you. So John Vespasian is the author of nine books about rational living, including When Everything Else Fails, Try This, Rationality is the Way to Happiness, The Philosophy of Builders, The Ten Principles of Rational Living, Rational Living, Rational Working, Consistency, The Key to Permanent Stress Relief, On Becoming Unbreakable, Thriving in Difficult Times, and his most recent book, Sesquentiality, and I'm not saying that right, I know, so I'll have you describe it for us, The Amazing Power of Finding the Right Sequence of Steps. So again, John, welcome to the program. <clears throat> Many thanks. Sequentiality is the title. That's it. And you, of course, say it so much better because you have such a wonderful accent. I love speaking with my, my guests who have accents. Um, so what I've, it, I love reading your books because it really does make you think. You are a, quite the historical uh, philosopher, lover of history, lover of the 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 people f- who really yeah well you put it this way in in your your most recent book a lot of the books that are written now are difficult to understand difficult to implement and sometimes we need to go back to the the you know many hundreds of years ago to some of our great philosophers and and they're not you know not always great philosophers i mean in your most recent book one of the people you were talking about was harriet tubman but it it takes me actually back to when i was in college and i had to take a, a class called shaping of western thought and we called it swat but it really was something that was was so phenomenal so Let's just kind of start at the beginning. Why did you decide that this is a passion for you to write books like this? Well, because I couldn't find um, anything like this in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I am passionate about history, uh, personal development, uh, economics, and finance. Mm-hmm. And what I do in my books is to combine my interest uh, to produce uh, books that are, I would say, weird because they are very unusual. Uh, they are based on history, 100%. They are based mm-hmm. on real facts and real people. And what I do in the books is to draw lessons uh, mm-hmm. that people can use uh, right away from uh, 20, 30 different uh, biographies that I analyze in, uh, in great detail. 
mm-hmm. uh, trying to draw always uh, practical lessons. Right. And many of the people in your books are people that hopefully you know, we have heard of, but you also talk about a lot of people that maybe we've never heard about. And that's part of why I like the books, because not only is there a good lesson in them, but it piques my interest about learning about these other people and, and their contributions to history, to business, to science, to whatever it is that, that they were um, uh, known for. Uh, indeed. Well, uh, what people know, don't know, depends a lot on the, um, on the background uh, because many stories are European. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they use also uh, African or Asian stories. Uh, people could say the opposite. Okay, I don't know this American uh, history right. uh, person and they're familiar with European history. So what I try to do is to combine a bit of uh, different uh, time periods, uh, different countries, uh, different professions, uh, different problems, so that uh, the reader uh, can draw uh, universal principles. You know, and that's, I think that's one of the things that I like about it, is it, it is from around the world. So many different people, uh, you know, with, with many different lessons that they learned in life, some of them actually weren't successful uh, by by the way you're writing your books they you know they they obviously made it through life some of them were financially successful all these various things but maybe not successful in the way that you're defining things and and that's what i like about it is it really makes you think as you're reading these books uh indeed <clears throat> because um, sometimes the point of the story is to uh, explain uh, what, what to avoid, what not to do. Right. Let me just give you an example. Look, in, the, in my latest book, uh, Sequentiality, which is a bit about success and happiness, how to find the, the right sequence of steps, one of the ideas of the book is that um, uh, many people fail uh, to find the right um, uh, career or the right opportunity or the, um, the path to happiness, they fail to, to, to do that because uh, they refuse to move. And I mean physically uh, move to another place. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the stories I tell in the book, the story of Casanova, who lived in the 18th century, he's known as a great seducer uh, in right. history, uh, Casanova. But um, his life is super interesting because uh, he was um, uh, basically... Uh, a failure uh, for almost uh, more than 20 years or 25 years. He was a complete failure. Uh, He didn't have money. I mean, he was not a millionaire um, by any stretch of the imagination. But eventually, uh, after failing spectacularly in his hometown in uh, Venice in Italy, uh, he only uh, found the right opportunity when he moved. He moved to France. Uh, He had to learn French. And there he became an entrepreneur and he became successful within a short period of time, he made a, a great fortune. And I found the story fascinating because it teaches one of the examples, one of the ideas in the book, is that um, the, the easiest way to success, as I have uh, drawn from these uh, many biographies, uh, many examples, uh, the easiest way to success and happiness uh, is to try to find uh, the right sequence of steps. You don't have to be super motivated. You don't have to be super enthusiastic. You don't have to be super positive. But if you know what to do, and if you know which steps to take, uh, with very little effort, uh, you can improve your situation. And the case of Casanova is fantastic because he tried everything. He tried different professions. Uh, he was fired from different jobs. Uh, he studied law and he, he, he wanted to be a lawyer. Then he tried to be um, a military officer. He failed. 
totally and completely until he uh, moved to France and he became involved in, uh, in finance. Uh, he started the lottery in France. He became very successful. He, he started to be a broker uh, in uh, public debt. And he sold uh, millions and millions of, um, of French debt into uh, Amsterdam. And within a few years, he became a millionaire. And he didn't stay a millionaire, which is another part of the story. It was very interesting because he made uh, mistake after mistake afterwards. But this is the kind of stories I like to tell because you understand the principle. Uh, when you're faced with a similar situation, you will think about it and say, oh, what's the real problem here? Is it my problem that uh, I don't like my job? I don't like my uh, situation. I don't like my relationships. Maybe, uh, just maybe you are not in the right place because you have interests and you have um, ambitions that uh, your environment cannot satisfy because the seat is too small, uh, you're not in the right uh, professional environment, or you just want to have uh, a better life. And um, uh, in, uh, in some cases, uh, people just refuse to move because they cannot imagine a better life. Uh, and Casanova, many examples uh, I give in the book, many other biographies, people actually were forced to move because Casanova had to move because he was prosecuted. And only to escape jail, uh, he actually moved out of uh, Venice. He didn't want to go away, but eventually it was his great break in life because if he had stayed uh, in Venice, uh, you would never have heard of Hasanova because he would have been completely obscure. He would have been a complete failure in life. And only when he went away and he tried uh, new opportunities, he became uh, very successful. And eventually he wrote uh, his memoirs. And we know all the stories from his memoirs. But uh, you have to realize that to find the right sequence of steps um, is very important. I would say much more important than being super positive because uh, you can be very positive, but if you keep doing the wrong things, uh, you will just go in circles and you, you waste uh, your life. Right. And it's, it's interesting because, as you said, sometimes people have to move or or they do make that choice to move. You know, one of the, the people that you talk about in your book is, is Pemberton. And, you know, for those of us in the United States, he actually is a United States person, but we don't even know many times that he didn't come from the United States. And he saw that in order to maybe not achieve his goals because he maybe hadn't even formed those yet, but he had to physically move. He had to leave his, his country and move to the United States. And, and he came to Chicago. And so tell us a little bit more about him. I, and I love the stories that you have in the book, because as I said, many of the names we recognize, but we don't know kind of the backstory as to, to what happened and, and how they, they got to where they were. Well, Alan Pinkerton, um, Pinkerton, I'm sorry. From, mm -hmm. uh, from, from Britain. Um, uh, it's, it's a perfect example of sequentiality because like many people in life, he didn't know exactly um, what he wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, he was ambitious. He had a, <coughs> a, a job in, uh, in Britain. He was uh, an artisan. He was making tanks um, uh, uh, for, um, for keeping uh, food. I mean, this was a, a, a a great uh, market in the in the early 19th century, but okay, right. he didn't make a lot of money. He tried different things. He started his own uh, workshop, but uh, I mean, it was just not possible. The, the market was uh, was very very small. So eventually, he he got the idea to go to move to the U.S. Uh, it took him a while to save the money because nowadays, okay, you can fly for a few hundred dollars, but uh, in the early 19th century, it was very expensive uh, to go to another country. So he saved money, 
for several years. And when he moved to the States, uh, he thought it would be easy uh, to make a fortune, but he was disappointed. He tried different jobs, he tried different professions, and he failed uh, one after the other. It was a very uh, pathetic situation, but um, he liked to read a lot. And this was an asset, and this is something that I emphasize in my books. Uh, you have to cultivate your assets. You have to cultivate um, your knowledge, your skills, uh, your social network, because your assets will give you the answer. Mm-hmm. And Pinkerton, uh, he didn't know exactly what to do. He tried different things. And uh, he tried even to start his own business in Chicago. It was a disaster. And then he got a break, um, a bit by coincidence, because he was trying every possible thing he could think of. And eventually, uh, he was involved uh, indirectly in arresting some uh, gangsters, uh, which was really a bit of coincidence. But okay, in the end, uh, he got into the newspaper, into the local newspaper. And then he used this publicity was very small publicity in a way, but he just was in the newspaper for one day, and he used it to apply for a job in the police department in uh, Chicago. He did so. He was accepted. He didn't have any degree, but he had, he, he was well-read. He had read uh, at least 100 books, uh, for we, uh, we can uh, gather from his uh, biography. Mm-hmm. So he became um, an assistant detective, and then he started to look further. So what, how can I improve my career? Because... He got a job. He was um, uh, lowly paid because it was a, a job, um, also temporary job. But eventually, he started to look around. Uh, he was very entrepreneurial, I have to say. And eventually, he uh, figured out that um, there was a big problem with the uh, police demarcations because the police in the in early 19th century, they could not go uh, beyond the state line. And uh, there was nothing between uh, one state and the other. So when they, they were these gangsters that would just hold banks, uh, they would just take the money and move to the next state, and the police could not go after them. So Pinkerton uh, figured out that if he could protect uh, trains, if he could protect uh, banks uh, by having their uh, guards or detectives, uh, the only difference between the guards and the detectives is that uh, the detectives uh, were not wearing uniform. So Pinkerton figured out he, he could just station a few people there. He would, could stop most of the robberies. And then he, he approached a few uh, businessmen in Chicago. He was on his uh, first uh, business assignment. He got um, a contract with a, with a train uh, line to, to protect the lines. So he, he did it himself at the beginning. He would just travel back and forth um, um, wearing his clothes. I mean, he wasn't wearing a uniform. And uh, he started to, uh, to create this business of protection uh, that nowadays, uh, I mean, you would say there are big security companies, but in the 19th century, he was the first one because it was, right. he just saw the opportunity. And then he started to build on that. And the great um, uh, advantage of Pinkerton, and this is something that few, few people realize, I mean, he was not really a super good detective, but the great advantage of Pinkerton is that he had read uh, a lot of books and he realized that uh, the key to success, if you start a business, uh, was publicity. I mean, he wanted to be recognized as a growing business, a very powerful detective. And what he did, uh, because he liked to read, was to hire uh, some writers uh, to write novels about his company. And they came up with these uh, Pinkerton uh, detective uh, stories that became bestsellers. And thanks to the books, to the novels that he didn't write himself, but he actually uh, inspired these uh, writers to do it, 
and he sometimes he paid them just to write uh, these novels. Uh, I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of people reading these uh, these cheap novels. They, they cost a few cents, but uh, within a couple of years, Pinkerton was the man of the day. When people said uh, detective, it meant Pinkerton because he was the hero, or his uh, his agents. They were the heroes of these novels. I mean, the novels contain huge exaggerations, but it didn't matter because um, the objective for, for Pinkerton was to find uh, the next step. Uh, his career is fantastic because you see a guy who didn't have a very clear plan. He didn't have a clear objective. He was not super, um, how you say, super positive. He was a very low-key guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, little by little, by using his assets, and in this case, uh, when I mean assets, I mean that he was a guy who liked to read. Uh, he used his passion for, for literature, for books, uh, to create a publicity machine for his detective company. And this made him a millionaire. So it's fascinating to explore these biographies because they give you the key. And one of the keys that I um, underline in the book is that you have to create assets. You have right. to create some kind of a social assets, intellectual assets, uh, savings, whatever. Create assets because the assets will give you the answer uh, for the next step. Right. Well, and one of the things that, that uh, they all kind of, the, the ones that are successful have in common is that they're always looking to kind of better themselves. And one of the things that you talk about in all of your books is that just being a positive thinker and thinking, oh my gosh, everything's going to work out well for me because I'm a nice person, that's really not going to get you anywhere. And unfortunately, that's the way many people kind of seem to think. You know, I'll be successful in business because. And then they don't even have anything after that because. You know, it's it's, I'm a nice person or I'm well-educated or whatever. And, you know, we're not saying not think positive, but talk to us a little bit more about this concept. Uh, You know, why positive thinking isn't necessarily a good thing uh, because it, it it works but it doesn't work all the time mm-hmm. uh, this is something difficult to accept because when people uh, look at stories and say okay i know this guy who was very positive and he became super uh, rich and super famous it happens i mean uh, positive thinking works to a certain extent right. but uh, if you say percentage wise maybe it works uh, 10% 15% of the time but it's, it's not enough. Um, let, let me just give you one of the examples in the book. Look, one of the stories in the book is about um, a healer. Uh, his name was <clears throat> Bruno Goering. And he lived in the, in the 1950s. Uh, he died in 1959. And he was the, the perfect example of the positive person. I mean, he was a very peaceful person. Uh, he had, actually, he had powers to heal. I mean, I have researched the story uh, very thoroughly. He actually healed hundreds of people. I mean, he healed people with um, uh, uh, terminal illness. Uh, he healed children. Uh, he was really a, a, one of the uh, greatest healers in Europe in, the, in that in time. And Goering, uh, he came with this uh, philosophy that was about uh, uh, tuning your, your, your soul uh, to the universe, uh, forgiving enemies. I mean, he was very philosophical. And after he died in 1959, uh, he created a movement, and there are still a lot of uh, followers of Goering. Uh, the problem is that um, they don't get anywhere because Goering had these powers. He was, I don't know why, but he had these powers to heal people. He was super 
super peaceful, super positive. Uh, and um, he didn't actually uh, explain that. I mean, I don't know why he was able to do it. But anyway, the, the point is that the, the followers of Göring, and there are hundreds, uh, possibly thousands of them in Europe, he was very well known in Germany, in Switzerland, uh, in Austria, he was a German speaker. Uh, they tried to imitate what he was doing, and they never managed to do it. Uh, they never managed to heal anyone. They never managed to um, even to uh, to heal themselves. And um, why was Göring so special? Why was Göring uh, so positive, so peaceful, uh, so amazing? Well, the answer is nobody knows. Um, the guy had some I don't know, maybe some genetic mutation, some special power. I don't know. Uh, maybe he didn't even know himself. But um, the question is, being positive and being peaceful and being great, it works. Sometimes you see these examples that uh, they take your breath away. You go, wow, this is amazing. This is mm -hmm. amazing. It is amazing, but you cannot uh, rely on these kind of examples to, to guide your life because right. they are very unusual. Uh, Goering was one in a million. And um, it's not really a good way to manage your time, to manage your life, to manage your business because statistically speaking, it's very rare. Uh, if you really want to be successful, take the easy way. And the easy way is to be rational, to be uh, productive, uh, to use your time wisely, and to learn from history. Right. You know, and, of course, one of the problems with being kind of the Pollyanna, the positive thinking, is when things go wrong or not the way you expected, you don't know what to do. You know, and, and that's where being that rational thinker you can think, okay, well, that didn't work, so now what? And it's not now what and the sky is falling. It's now what do I do next? And you rationally go through things. You know, do I, do I need to move? Do I need to adopt new technology? Do I need to get new business partners? Whatever it is. And it is, it, it, it's funny. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading your books is more than anything, it's kind of about taking responsibility for yourself and your own actions, good or bad. And, and, you know, yes, good things happen, bad things happen, but you know what? Life goes on. Continue forward with that. Uh, indeed. And um, uh, this, this particular book, Sequentiality, the last one, um, I, I underline a lot that very often you will not know the answer or you will not know the answer um, right away, right? Uh, because when, when we're facing um, uh, very complex problems, and people are and have health problems, and, and then they get the divorce, and then they lose the job, it's a very complex situation, and people panic, and they it's, it's a normal reaction. And um, uh, I kind of just tell you, okay, you have to think, you have to be rational, because it's super difficult to do that. But there are other ways. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell the story that uh, gave me the idea for the book. Just to illustrate this point, look, uh, I came, with the, came up with the idea of sequentiality uh, when I read the biography of, um, of Luigi Cornaro. And Cornaro, who might not be well known in the United States, but Cornaro is the first person in history uh, who actually lived 102 years. It is recorded. It's not a legend. He actually lived 102 years. And it was not by, by chance. Uh, Cornaro was very, very sick uh, when he was in his 30s. He had massive inflammation. Uh, he could not sleep. He could not actually eat. I mean, he was really dying. He had in terrible pain uh, day after day. He went to different physicians, and they told him there was no cure. He was going to die. He had only a few weeks. So Coronado went home very depressed, as you can imagine. 
uh, no amount of rational thinking is going to to avoid some depression in this kind of situation. Right, especially but when Cornaro, the doctors tell you that. Yeah, but Cornaro in the end said, look, uh, I tried uh, to get advice. Uh, I got different advice because he got contradictory advice from different physicians. You have to, you have to eat fish, uh, you have to drink milk, you have to drink wine, you have to, you have to avoid eating anything. I mean, he got the most uh, contradictory advice you can imagine. And eventually, Cornaro said, look, uh, if, I do, um, if I do nothing, I'm going to die. It's obvious I'm going to die. I have this, this terrible situation. So what he did was to try to calm down and to, to test different approaches. And he started very scientifically. I mean, he was in the, in the 16th century. I mean, obviously, the guy has to be very intelligent to come up with this kind of ideas. But he started to test uh, different ideas. He said, look, let's start uh, by eating just one thing to see if, it, if, if I get better or I get worse. And he started uh, to drink only soup. Uh, he, he was eating, uh, just drinking soup uh, every day of the week. And he got a little bit better. And then he introduced uh, different foods one by one. He started to drink uh, milk. Obviously, it was organic milk because it was the only milk available in the, in the 16th century. Uh, and it didn't work. And then he, he went back to the soup. And then he tried uh, to introduce uh, cheese. So he tried little things. Mm -hmm. And then he changed his, uh, his sleeping patterns. Uh, he went to bed earlier. So in the end, uh, he improved. Little by little, it took him six months, but he recovered his health. And then he came up uh, by experimentation, because he didn't know the answer. He came out um, of his sickness with a, with a plan, with a lifestyle. And he kept uh, this lifestyle for the rest of his life. And he lived uh, 102 years. He became very old. He was always very healthy. Uh, and every time he deviated from his uh, lifestyle, he became sick again. And he said, okay, I, I don't have to do that. I go back to my, to my lifestyle. And he wrote extensively about uh, his experiments. This is why I, I have the, uh, the story. And he came up with a, with, a, with a lifestyle that nowadays in the 21st century, people know is very healthy. We know that it's healthy to go uh, early to bed, uh, to rise uh, healthy in the morning, uh, to eat um, not too much because um, uh, Cornaro was the first person who came up with the idea of uh, calorie uh, reduction. Mm -hmm. uh, he would eat uh, as little as possible, uh, and he combined uh, all possible ideas until he came up with the answer. And this is real life. This is how people actually find the answer to their problems most of the time, by trying different things, by exploring. This is why I call the book Sequentiality, because the important thing is that you keep trying the sequence, and you go to the next step, and then you go to the next step, and if it doesn't work, you just keep going. The worst you can do is to remain passive. Mm -hmm. Or just to hope that things are going to get better. Um, you know, I, I love the concept of the, the health that, that he came up with because so many people, especially executives and, and business owners, are not healthy people. They're very stressed. Um, you know, all of these various things. They don't eat well. They don't sleep well. I mean, those are probably the, the two biggest things. They don't exercise, all those various things. And I, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated when I'll see an article that says, you know, the top CEOs only sleep four hours a night. And I'm thinking, that can't be healthy. You know, that, that just, you know, granted, there probably are a few people where that is just, you know, they're, what's going to work for them. One of the things that you that you really focus on 
is that we have to take those steps to stay healthy. And, you know, whether it's going to, to bed and early rising. Now, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite on that. I, I tend to stay up later and, and, you know, sleep in a bit. But, you know, eating healthy, taking care of yourself, because it, we can't do anything if we're not healthy. And I, you know, so many people tend to forget that and just drive themselves to the point of, you know, sheer exhaustion. And you talk about that a lot in, in several of your books. Yeah, in this particular book, in Sequentiality, I tell the story of uh, Charles Dickens, a mm-hmm. uh, great writer. People know his, uh, his stories, his books, but uh, he's a typical example of a person who destroyed his life. He, he actually uh, destroyed his health, and he had, in the end, he had a stroke, and he died. He died relatively young, and uh, Dickens uh, was w- what you were just saying, the, the, the executive, uh, very, very, uh, very, very busy, very, very stressed. And uh, until that point, until he was in his um, uh, mid-40s, well, early 50s, um, he was not like this. He was a very systematic person. He would write uh, every day, uh, six pages. Uh, he was super organized. He had uh, time for his children. I mean, he was really a very uh, productive person. The problem with Dickens uh, is that uh, he let that go uh, from one day to the next, because um, he got the idea, and this is something that explains why so many people are super stressed and super anxious in life, he got the idea that he should do something else, he should be someone else. And uh, when he was a super successful uh, novelist, he got uh, the rather stupid idea that uh, he should write for the theater. Mm-hmm. And he wrote um, a play that was uh, very, very bad, I mean, super boring. He tried to find uh, a producer in London, uh, nobody wanted to put it on stage because, I mean, who's going to watch this? I mean, this is super boring. So Dickens didn't give up. He he started um, uh, his uh, small um, theater group, and they put up the, 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 the play on stage, and they hired some actors because they didn't have uh, enough people. So they hired a few women for the play, and eventually he hired an actress, and the name was uh, Ellen Turner. She was uh, 25 years younger than uh, Dickens, and Dickens by that time was married with five children or six children. And he fell in love with her and they, he destroyed his life. Because uh, in the 19th century, you could not just uh, leave your family and children behind. This was absolutely unacceptable. It would have destroyed uh, Dickens' reputation. So he became uh, completely paranoid because he was sometimes with his wife, sometimes with his mistress. He, they could not go out together because he was afraid of the press. Uh, they would destroy his reputation as a writer. And he started to lead a double life. He was spending time with his wife, with his children, with his mistress. He was commuting back and forth. And within a few months, his wife uh, found out. and uh, She went away with the children. So now Dickens has to pay for three households. He has to pay for the wife and the children, his own house, and the mistress. And the mistress was living with her mother. So after a few uh, months, uh, he was spending so much money, like three times uh, more than he was spending before, because he had to pay for three households. Right. And, and he became the, 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 what you were just describing, completely stressed. He started to, uh, to find uh, more, more ways to make money. So he started to give readings in the evenings. Uh, he would go to a theater. He would give a reading of his books, and people would pay uh, to listen to Dickens. The problem is that he was completely exhausted. Uh, he became uh, chronically sick. Uh, he got his first uh, stroke, 
and then he got the fatal stroke and he died. And Dickens could have lived another 20, 30 years if he had been uh, doing what he was doing uh, before, but he got in the wrong way. And this is what you were describing. It is not worth it uh, to destroy your life like this because success does not mean anything if you are sick. Mm-hmm. And Dickens is the perfect example of how to destroy your life. Right. So what are some other ways that those who are overstressed can eliminate those things? You know, it, and, and I think part of it is, as you said, you know, we, we see something and we think, oh my gosh, we have to be that. We have to do that. And, and we just get ourselves all wrapped up in this. So how are some ways that we can reduce the stress? Well, the, the easiest way, and I think this is the main principle for reducing your, your, your stress, uh, is to get aligned um, in every aspect of your life. So whatever you are doing for your um, uh, business or for your career has to be aligned, has to be integrated uh, with your private life, uh, with your eating habits, uh, with your sleeping habits. You need to have a total picture uh, which is consistent. And this is very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, human beings, um, the way we are, and we are genetically disposed to that, uh, we like novelty. We like to chase rabbits. We like to, uh, to find new stories, right. uh, to find new games. And it is in our nature uh, to want excitement continuously and to run to different things and to try everything. But uh, if you want to live uh, happily and successfully, this is very dangerous. Uh, because uh, it might help you if you are living in the jungle and you have to protect yourself against uh, predators. But in a normal life situation, uh, you will be very unstable, you will be very stressed, uh, because you will not have any integrity. You will be uh, trying too many things, you will be chasing too many rabbits. So to find uh, alignment, to find integrity, to find uh, consistency is the only way that works if you want to reduce stress. You have to have a life which is sustainable. You have to have habits that you can sustain for decades Mm -hmm. because uh, unless you do that, uh, you will only get uh, little improvements. Uh, You can do yoga uh, one hour a day. During that hour, you will be very calm. You will be very um, uh, peaceful, but then you go back to reality and it will not work. You have to integrate your life. Right. And it's not what we we see over here having a work life balance because that's you know it, it, I like it that that you're saying it needs to align um, because sometimes with with you know a work life balance you're fighting you know you you are struggling to try to keep things on on that equilibrium but having an alignment means and and you know granted things are going to happen. You know, you still might be sick. Things are, are you know, and, and as we've said, you need to, to shift and adapt. But by having that alignment, you are much more, it, it's much easier for you to make those changes. Yeah, and um, the word uh, balance in this context um, uh, is very misleading mm-hmm. because you say you have to be in balance. I mean, what does it mean? You have to work eight hours sleep eight hours and, I don't know, eat eight hours. Or right. It, it doesn't we mean anything. We can't balance, right. It doesn't mean anything. And, and uh, many examples I give in my books about people who are super happy and they live very, very long, they are totally unbalanced. Mm-hmm. These people who just find something they love or they, they, they do very well and they just do it uh, year after year. They work uh, 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, 
and they don't feel any stress because they are completely aligned, they're completely integrated. It's difficult uh, to get to that point, but if you get um, in that situation, uh, don't worry about balance because it doesn't mean anything. Right. Uh, it's a question of finding the, the, the opportunity, to find in the, the right place, to find in the right environment. It's not easy to do, but it is possible. Right. Well, and we have to remember that we need to find what works for us and, and and us as in each individual. And just because that doesn't work for somebody else doesn't mean it's not right. And, and I think that is part of the, the problem. And especially with all of the self-help, health, health, my tongue gets tangled up, the self-help books and the this is how you have to be in business type of thing. We're trying to match what works for someone else as opposed to trying to figure out what works best for us. Indeed. And one of the main ideas of the book, uh, Sequentiality, is that it's all about the sequence of uh, steps. Mm -hmm. uh, the sequence, uh, by definition, is going to be individual uh, because you will have opportunities and you will have uh, also weaknesses and you will have problems that are unique uh, because of your background, because mistakes uh, you made in the past, uh, because of your um, psychology or whatever. I mean, you might have different problems that other people will not even understand. Mm -hmm. And um, the whole idea of sequentiality is that if you follow the patterns um, uh, that have proven successful in history, you will find a way because it, people always find a way. Uh, the only thing that stops them is that they get stuck or they become passive. Mm -hmm. And this is the, what really breaks sequentiality because then you just give up and you say, okay, it doesn't work. I'm going to spend the whole day watching TV, uh, playing video games. Uh, my life will never improve. It's too late. I'm too old. Once you get to this point, um, uh, it doesn't work. You just, you just, there is no sequence because there are no steps. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the things that you just mentioned is something that was in one of your, your prior books, and that's breakable and unbreakable. How can we become unbreakable? To become unbreakable is a, um, it's not a fantasy. I mean, you cannot avoid uh, dying. Uh, eventually, you have a, a heart attack or you have a, a, an accident. Everybody will die. I mean, this is not uh, the idea of the book. But the idea of the book is that by improving your habits, um, by being more alert and by being more philosophical, uh, you can prevent or you can avoid or you can minimize a massive amount of problems in life. And what I have there in the, in the book on becoming unbreakable is to, to come up with some patterns uh, that people uh, can use today uh, to increase their resilience and to become uh, stronger in any way, not only psychologically. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Look, mm -hmm. one of the uh, things that makes people, uh, business people in particular, very stressed um, is that uh, inevitably they will, they will be criticized. They will be disliked. Uh, they will have to fight uh, with competition and sometimes with colleagues. Uh, and sometimes they have to fight uh, within the company. This is very stressful. And um, the human psychology uh, is very sensitive uh, to the situation. Uh, dogs are also very sensitive. Cats, they are not so sensitive to that. But dogs, for instance, they get depressed. Uh, they start to be passive. And human beings is the same. You have a situation of conflict uh, day after day. Uh, and you are criticized constantly by your parents or by your boss or by your uh, friends or by your wife uh, or by your husband, 
uh, you will become uh, deranged. You will become very stressed. You will not be able to sleep. And the only solution uh, to this kind of problems is to increase your resilience. And how can you do that? Look, uh, there are different ways to do it. I just mentioned a couple of them. Uh, one of the strategies that uh, has proven uh, historically super effective uh, to become very, very resilient uh, psychologically uh, is to focus uh, on the areas where you're very strong. And uh, this is easier said than done, but um, people get criticized uh, sometimes with reason because they make mistakes, because uh, whatever. I mean, people don't like them. They are not social. They're not uh, well-educated. They will get, everybody has uh, weak points. And people might criticize you uh, rightly or wrongly. But uh, if you just focus on those uh, um, negative points, uh, you will become depressed, you will become passive, and you will waste your time, which is the worst thing you can do. And um, in the book uh, Unbreakable, I tell the story of William Turner, who was a, a painter of the 19th century. He was criticized massively by the newspaper day after day after day. And the guy was becoming depressed. And eventually, he just gave up, said, look, I'm a good painter. The only thing I like to do is painting. I'm going to spend my life painting. And if people don't like it, that's too bad. And he, uh, he ignored the newspapers for the rest of his life. He didn't give any interviews. He just painted and painted and painted. He produced hundreds of paintings. When he died, he left uh, more than 2,000 paintings still unsold because he just realized that uh, you cannot spend your life uh, fighting people. You cannot spend your life defending yourself against criticism. You just have to do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Find the areas where you're strong, find uh, the, the kind of career, the kind of uh, environment, the kind of hobbies you like, and just go after them. And do not spend uh, more than necessary uh, dealing with negative criticism, dealing with uh, aggressive people is a complete waste of time. Get out of that environment and find something better. And then you will become very resilient to, a, to an extent that you could consider yourself unbreakable. And Turner. Uh, William Turner, the painter, became unbreakable. He became extremely wealthy, uh, extremely famous, but uh, he never lost his patience anymore because he was just not dealing with uh, with the press. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've I've talked about that with other guests, you know, about removing yourself from those situations, from those people. You know, we all have those friends, those business associates, you know, whoever they are, who are just negative you know the the sky is always falling and you know and it drags us down because we start you know that negative energy just kind of really starts sucking into us and and more and more it seems like you know that's that's what's happening in the world um you know i have some friends who recently were posting on facebook that they they fear for their children because of things that are going to be happening for them. And the funny thing is, I was thinking, you know, I bet every single generation thinks that. But, you know, through your books, and, and maybe it is because of the study of history, I'm not sure, but through all of your books, you have this great positive. You you know that you know, and I'm not talking about positive thinking, like we were, you know, saying before, it's it's that you it's that you're very optimistic about the future. Why is that? Because, you know, like I said, people are gloom and doom and, oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. But you really are very optimistic about our future. Yeah, and the reason for that uh, is that uh, by, by studying history, I, I get perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I see a problem, I see an article in the newspaper and I see, okay, this guy is doing this and this guy is doing that and this is bad. I would not contest that um, uh, most of the news in the newspaper are very negative, very depressing. 
sometimes even horrible. But when you look at the big picture, the big uh, historical picture, the big uh, economic picture, uh, you will get uh, a different feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, people complain about, uh, I don't know, the economic situation, inflation, uh, the public debt, and you know, don't know what. But look at the environment we have. Look at uh, the, the, the smartphones that mm-hmm. people didn't even, I mean, they didn't even exist uh, uh, 50 years ago. Uh, now we take for granted that you can just uh, send us a WhatsApp or a Twitter, or you can put the video on YouTube, or you can watch uh, TV programs from other countries. I mean, this was impossible only 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And people can start companies now uh, in many countries for a few hundred dollars. And this was impossible uh, 20 years ago. And now you can do it on the internet and you create a company in, in some countries. Uh, you can open bank accounts. You can invest easily and very inexpensively around the world. Uh, if, you are a, if you are terrified because you think your country is going to go bankrupt, why the hell do you want to invest there? Just put your money in another country. Right. It's very easy. You only have to click and uh, to buy an ETF and you just put the money somewhere else. You have these opportunities. And the world uh, today uh, is amazingly uh, complex, but you have the tools because we have tools uh, to reduce complexity. And this makes me very optimistic because you have this wave of entrepreneurship uh, that is uh, sweeping the planet. People are starting companies, they are creating jobs, there are new opportunities, uh, you have new technology, you have uh, low cost, uh, cost of entry anyway. You can move very inexpensively to another country, very inexpensively to another city. Uh, this was impossible a few uh, years ago. And uh, when people become completely negative and pessimistic, it's just because they don't look at the, at the big picture. Mm-hmm. They get uh, focus on the latest uh, nonsense in the newspaper. Uh, they believe the, 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 I don't know, the, 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 the sky is going to fall on their heads. It's completely absurd. Uh, they don't look at the opportunities, they don't look at the, at the big picture, they don't look at the possibility to move, the possibility to go somewhere else, the possibility to do something else. And uh, for many people, this possibility did not exist until very recently, and now you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I uh, stop complaining and focusing on the problems. I do not deny that there are many problems, but right. uh, the opportunities we have today, uh, they really exceed uh, the imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's funny the people that complain, and these are you know people that I'm I'm you know friends with on Facebook that you know the sky is falling and oh my gosh this is horrible and this is awful and and all of these things. I just want to respond to them now. I don't you know because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I I just want to respond to them. Stop reading all of that. You know if you <laughs> I'm sorry, go out and sit by a tree, smell a flower, play with a child. You know do something as opposed to just reading about all of this negativity that's going on in the world. And, and you know, the, the sad truth of the matter is I think there are a lot of people who just enjoy the, the negativity. That's, that's where they're comfortable. That's where they want to be. And they're looking for the reasons to, to be negative. Um, yeah, this is, this is a, a, a driver in, in human psychology. Uh, and the reason is that uh, this negativity is very exciting. It's, uh, it's like a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more exciting. Otherwise, they wouldn't sell any newspapers or, or TV news. If it was everything was positive, nobody would watch right. the news. I mean, People I'm an old PR see. person, and, and we were always told, if it bleeds, it leads. You know, and, and we had trouble pitching stories that were positive, and we still do. I mean, this is I've been doing this for 30 years. And you know, it, because it, it, people expect negative, they want negative, all of those various things. 
Yeah, and uh, it's a drag. It's an addiction. Uh, you have to break it. You have to start uh, reading something else, uh, to look at the big picture, uh, to look at the opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities you will not get uh, from the news because the news are extremely addictive. Uh, it's like uh, you know eating chocolate. Uh, it's very, very good for a while if you eat a small piece, but if you only eat chocolate, um, it's not good for your health. Uh, and uh, it's, you get the overstimulation because then you watch news and then you become depressed and you become anxious and then you want to watch news all the time uh, because you might miss uh, critical information. It's right. a lot of nonsense, mm-hmm. but uh, it's very addictive and you have to break the addiction. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, you will spend the rest of your life uh, just watching TV. Mm-hmm. One of the things that people are very much afraid of that I've I've heard quite a bit of people say, you know, is 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 something that concerns them is this increase in robots and technology that their jobs will go away. And you actually see this as kind of a, a positive how let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, there is a fear um of um innovation. Um Again, because we look at the short term, <clears throat> and if you, you have a job, uh, say you work in retail, and you have a job, and you are selling uh, clothes or whatever, and imagine that someone comes up with a, with a distribution uh, system, and uh, there is a robot, and basically you t- it takes your, your job away, and then you mm-hmm. cannot work anymore on retail. This is very annoying. It's very... Um, uh, disrupting. And I would not say that people should be happy when they lose a job. It would be stupid. But you have to look at the big picture. Mm -hmm. And when you have these gains in productivity, I mean, you have to realize a few years ago, when you want to call uh, someone on the phone, you have to dial yourself with your finger. And it it took uh, a couple of minutes just to put the call through. Mm -hmm. Now you just uh, touch the screen of your smartphone and it takes a second and you don't have to do anything. And you have all the uh, contacts in your memory. I mean, it's in the, in the smartphone memory. So you don't have to do anything. You say it's hundreds of hours. Mm-hmm. And there used to be people who did uh, that. There was to be people who connected uh, uh, telephone calls, uh, people who produced uh, telephone directories. I mean, there used to be thousands and thousands of people doing the jobs. And nowadays, uh, you have a computer, you have uh, software. And overall... Uh, the picture is very positive because they create new jobs, they create a uh, higher standard of living. Uh, the person who loses the job uh, is not going to be happy because, oh my God, I, I like this job so much. I like so much uh, the, the retail uh, environment. And now what I'm going to do? And the only answer is that uh, if you look at the big picture over the, the tower time, uh, within years or decades, uh, you will have a higher standard of living because these jobs uh, will be replaced and you will have the opportunity to get other jobs. But the conclusion is not that um, it is easy to change. Uh, you need to, to learn new things. You need to cultivate your skills. Uh, you need to stay alert, uh, to try to move to a different position before you lose your job. Uh, it's not easy, mm-hmm. but uh, you cannot stop the economy of the world. You cannot say, okay, uh, everything should change. I should have uh, smartphones. I should have tablets. I should have uh, free television, YouTube, whatever. But don't touch my job because right. uh, I really, I really want to work here in retail, even if uh, if it's inefficient. So you have to realize there are advantages. The advantages are not always obvious. Uh, sometimes they take uh, some time to materialize. But overall, the trend is very positive. Because uh, the jobs that are destroyed uh, will be replaced 
by other jobs that are better paying, uh, they have more opportunity, uh, they're more interesting. And uh, it happens always in history. Uh, people used to uh, make uh, their clothes and to have a shirt, uh, it will cost you a fortune, cost thousands of dollars. Uh, in the 18th century, mm-hmm. people used to have only one set of clothes and if they got dirty, uh, they will be naked uh, because they have to wait until they were dry mm-hmm. because it was so expensive just to have a shirt. Nowadays, I mean, you might have dozens and dozens of shirts because they are so inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the big picture. Uh, you have to stay alert. You have to develop your skills. But uh, the economy is moving in the right direction uh, right. because uh, new opportunities are created. There are new technologies. Uh, there are more opportunities. Um, don't focus on the negative because you will be wasting your time. And, of course, that is what history has shown us. You know, we survived the Industrial Revolution. We survived, um, you know, mechanical, you know, steam engines being replaced by electricity, you know, by gasoline, all of these various things. And it's exactly what you said. As things changed, it changed for the better. You know, people had to adapt. And, yes, it was painful and, you know, all sorts of things. But it, all of it did cause better things. So one of the things, and, and I, you know, as I mentioned at the very start of the program, you and I have chatted before, and you are such a student of history. What are some of the most surprising lessons that you have learned? Um, I would say the most surprising lesson is that um, uh, it is not the amount of information uh, what makes people stupid. I mean, nowadays, uh, you have the internet. Uh, most people have access to the internet. Mm-hmm. And you will, not see it, uh, you will not see people become extremely wise and extremely uh, tolerant uh, just because they have access to the internet. So it's not the information. Uh, the information is there. Uh, it was to be, used to be in books. Now it's on the internet. But um, uh, the idea that uh, history uh, is going to make you wiser is not automatic. Uh, we make always the same mistakes because we are human beings. It takes a lot of effort uh, to learn. And uh, the first idea and the most important principle you learn from history is that you have to be disciplined, you have to learn, you have to be alert, because otherwise uh, we will continue to make uh, the same mistakes uh, generation after generation, to have wars, to have destruction, to have discrimination. And it is only when human beings learn that there is something better, that uh, you can do better, that you can think better, it's only then that we improve, but it is not automatic. It is not given for free. Right. And it is about thinking rationally, you know, as, as we touched on before. It's, in, it's not about assuming, well, things will work out or, you know, the sky is going to fall. It is about thinking and learning from all of that. Um, you know, I, I always like it when people say, you know, if you could, would you not have something that happened to you in the past? And I tell people, no, you know, ev- everything that happened to me happened for a reason. And hopefully I learned from that and then went forward. Um, you know, were things painful? Were they, you know, sure. You know, were they, you know, they weren't always things that I really wanted. Yeah, and there's a lot that I really wouldn't want to, re- uh, to repeat. But it is about learning from what happened to us, what happened to others, and then going forward with it. Indeed. You have to go through the sequence. It's mm-hmm. going to be your own sequence. Uh, to, to, to profit from sequentiality, you have to go through the sequence. You have to, to see the next step. And if you just keep doing it and you just keep thinking about it and you keep learning, uh, given enough time, uh, it will work. It works for everybody. In history has worked for thousands of people, millions of people, 
but uh, you have to keep uh, going through the sequence mm-hmm. because if you stop, uh, then you're done. Right. So, John, we've got just a couple of minutes left. And, and so if you can give our listeners just one piece of advice that they should keep in mind, what would that be? You have to get rid of uh, hypersensitivity. This is the, the, the sickness of the 21st century. Uh, uh, people are today uh, extremely um, uh, thin-skinned. I mean, they, they get uh, depressed, they get anxious because someone said something, because they got some, uh, some comment on Facebook or because some nonsense, and then they become depressed for a whole week. We have become a society where people are extremely uh, sensitive to nonsense. You have to become stronger and you have to learn from history because if you spend your time worrying about uh, little nonsense, uh, you will become completely paranoid. You will waste your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to get rid of uh, hypersensitivity. It's, it's a sickness. It is not good and it is not going to take you anywhere. Right. You know, and especially as a leader, you know, whether you're a leader of you know, a, a small company, a large company, a volunteer organization, whatever it is, if you don't have a thick skin, you're not going to be successful. Indeed. You have to be rational. You have to be uh, caring for people, but uh, don't be a fool. Mm-hmm. Don't let yourself uh, be driven by this uh, extreme hypersensitivity we see in the 21st century because uh, it's like the news. It's very exciting. It's very um, uh, appealing, uh, very emotionally appealing, but uh, stay in the middle. Don't go to the extremes and you will do much better. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, John, again, this has been absolutely delightful talking with you. I can't wait till you write your 10th book because we'll have you on again. All of your books are available on Amazon. But if someone wants to reach out and connect with you, how do they do that? Yeah, I'm super easy to, to find. Uh, if you just type my name, John Vespasian, on Google, even if you type it incorrectly, it doesn't matter because Google will correct you. Such a rare name. So, John Vespasian. Uh, there is, um, I have a, a free blog. Uh, my email is there. There is also a free newsletter. Uh, you have all my books uh, available online. So it's very, very easy to find. Just type John Vespasian on Google and you will find, uh, you will find everything within one second. Great. Yeah, and, and again, I love your books that they are such a study of history. Um, you know, and, and that's, yeah, that's part of why they're so interesting and so fun to read is it, we've forgotten all of that. You know, we, we don't study it anymore. We, you know, we skipped over those classes in school or, you know, we basically studied them or we study them just as long as we had to. And, and they are the keys to how we can become successful and continue to be successful in the future. Indeed. Great. Well, John, as I said, this has been an absolute delight. I have been having such a good time talking with John Vespasian. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.